I, I wrote a piece for Market Watch about what's called Ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I. It's a Japanese word, and it basically means the reason to get up in the morning. And that's what I think people need to find, especially when they are in retirement, because often people aren't sure who they are anymore, what to do with themselves, how they can be useful. So for me, my Ikigai is a combination of work and volunteering and mentoring, and all of those help me establish my new identity and find purpose and, and work and purpose in my life. If Sesame Street is where children thrive, PBS's next avenue is where adults learn what it means to grow older in America. It's a good thing Oscar the Grouch doesn't know about it because he'd be more like Oscar the well-adjusted, financially secure Grouch. I mean, he's still gotta be a Grouch, right? Well, today's guest is anything but a Grouch. Richard Eisenberg is the former managing editor of Next Avenue. He's also worked for Good Housekeeping, People Magazine, Yahoo, Market Watch. He's written two books. He's done it all. Now a freelance writer and host of the Friends Talk Money podcast, he considers himself happily unretired. What does that mean? We're going to find out. Richard's mission was always to help other people find their purpose. And luckily for us, that's exactly what the Happiest Retirees podcast is all about. Richard Eisenberg is not a client of Capital Investment Advisors. He was not compensated for participating in today's podcast. But of course, we really appreciate him joining us to share his retirement story. Do you ever wonder who you'll be and what you'll do after your career is over? Wouldn't it be nice to hear stories from people who figured it out, who are thriving in retirement? I'm Ryan Doolittle. After working with the Retire Sooner team for years and researching and writing about how they structure their lifestyles, I know there's more to be learned. So I'm going straight to the source and taking you with me. My mission with the Happiest Retirees podcast is to inspire 1 million families to find happiness in retirement. I want to learn how to live an exceptional life from people who do it every day. Let's get started. Richard, thanks so much for joining us here. Ryan, it's great to see you. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm really excited. I, I You're sort of a legend. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so on this podcast, we talk a little less about money and allocations and, and the, the nuts and bolts of that. And we talk more about how people who are happy in retirement did it. I've heard you talk about how you've never been that interested in just helping people get rich. I mean, you're perfectly happy with them being rich, or I'm sure yeah. you wouldn't turn away money. But your main focus has been purpose, finding a purpose for your life, which I think is probably more important than the money in, well, probably any stage of life, but especially in retirement. Have you found your purpose? Did you already know it? Did you have to reinvent yourself? I th I'm finding my purpose... And I've done a little bit of reinventing it myself, but I also am keeping some of my old identity too, because I'm still doing writing and editing and a journalist part of the time. I, I wrote a piece for Market Watch about what's called Ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I. It's a Japanese word, and it basically means the reason to get up in the morning. And that's what I think people need to find, especially when they are in retirement, because often people aren't sure who they are anymore what to do with themselves, how they can be useful. So for me, my Ikigai is a combination of work and volunteering and mentoring, and all those help me establish my new identity and find purpose and, and work and purpose in my life. You know, as far as the personal finances part of it, what I meant by that about not wanting to 
help people, rich people get richer, although I'm happy if they do. What I did at Money Magazine, what I did at Next Avenue, was to try to help people who were not rich understand personal finances and get better at them so they could feel a little more confident and maybe be able to retire financially comfortably. So what I was really doing is trying to, and still do, try to help people who I would say are middle income and lower income as opposed to upper income. I feel like they you know, have financial advisors in many cases. They've been managing their finances for a long time. They've got big financial issues that most of the rest of us don't have. So I'm happy for them. I feel like they can take care of themselves. Yeah, we always talk about it in terms of the money sort of, you got to get that taken care of so that you can focus on the more important things. Right. So you mentioned you do some work for People Magazine. I was wondering if that means you help decide who gets Sexiest Man Alive and if I'm in the running. <laughs> well, I don't, but my wife did actually. My, my wife is a journalist and for many years she worked at People and one of her jobs was to choose the sexiest man. And I'm sorry to say neither of us uh, made it, but I, I was on a you know, just a lap because of my family connections. Uh, I can't explain why you're not on okay, Right. But there's still time. I th- yeah. I must have been in the running. I'm I'm sure I was not sure. familiar. Uh, sure. Okay. Um, okay, so let's talk about, you're the author of two books. It seems like you wrote them pretty early in your career, or at least the first one, uh, uh, maybe both. How did you just come uh, yeah. out of the gate writing those you wrote one how to avoid a midlife financial crisis which is a great title right. and the money book of personal finance yeah so i'm wondering how you just did that and then now that you're having more time are you thinking about writing another book so the first book came out of an article that i wrote for money magazine i wrote it when the baby boomers were first starting to turn 40 and what i found at that time was a lot of them were not in great shape financially and were getting nervous about their financial futures. And a publisher saw the article and then said to me, would you like to turn that into a book? And I thought that sounded interesting. So I spent a while doing that and turned it into a book. And then that became a paperback version and and all of that. The other book, The Money Book of Personal Finance, came because I was working at Money Magazine. I, I was there for about 19 years doing all kinds of things, starting as a fact checker and leaving as the executive editor. And while I was there, the uh, editor and publisher said, you know, it'd be great if there was a money book of personal finance from the people at Money Magazine. So they asked me if I would be the editor and writer of that. And so I was. And so a lot of that book I wrote, some of it were written by other people at Money and I would edit them and then we turn that into a comprehensive volume. Oh, okay. Okay. Switching gears to family, um, your wife, Liz, right? She, you, you both, you live together in New Jersey. You have two sons. I don't know if these ages are still accurate. They're, they're, are they in their thirties? They are. Okay. Will and Aaron, they, they're very successful screenwriters. One's an actor, one's maybe a comedian. Yeah. So that they are mostly screenwriting partners. They work together in Los Angeles, writing for TV and movies and for Audible but also my older son, Aaron, is an actor. He studied theater at Northwestern. And my younger son, Will, is a director. He studied film at USC. And so when they can, they're acting and directing also. But it's hard to get those jobs. And they had more success and found it a little bit easier to come up with ideas of things they want to write and to get people to produce them. And then occasionally they will direct and act in them, but mostly they write them. Well, it seems like they, I don't know if they're still on staff, but they were working with 
Guillermo del Toro's company, right? They have, I think thirty yeah. or something. Uh, yeah, they they worked in a writer's room for an animated series called Troll Hunters that he created, and they were there for one year and really enjoyed doing that. And now they're doing some other things. They they had a movie that was on Comedy Central a few months back called Cursed Friends. They've got a few other things that they're working on right now. They've got an Audible series that's going to be coming out in, in September. So they're they're busy, but with the writer's strike, they're not as busy as they'd like to be. Yeah, for sure. That's a whole discussion. I, I hope they're they're doing okay and wearing sunscreen as they're out there yeah. picketing. Yeah. Um, so spending time with children is a big part of, of what we think brings happiness for retired people. I've heard you talk about how for some people... It makes sense to move, to be closer. For some people, it doesn't. I don't know how often you get to see each other. Is that Have you been able to see them more being across the country than you did when you were working full-time? A little bit more. What we The biggest difference is because my wife and I are both unretired, what we've done is for the past two Februarys, we spent the month of February in Los Angeles. We lived in Airbnb both times. I would do my work, whatever work I was going to do, I did it from there. And then when our sons and their wives had time to see us, we would see them. And when they didn't, we would find ways to stay busy ourselves. Beyond that, I would say we see our sons about as often as we did before. Every now and then they'll come east. Every now and then it will come west. My younger son's wife is expecting a baby and that'll be our first grandchild this fall. So we expect we'll be spending more time in Los Angeles after that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and I was going to say I have an eight-month-old, so if you happen to hear any noises, his vocal cords are resistant to soundproofing. Uh, um, congratulations. <laughs> thank you. That's a fun age at this point. It's, you know, he's he. it's fun because now he's laughing a lot, and he can understand that my jokes are bad. Which, uh, uh, <laughs> so uh, I know that you've realized, well, as a parent, how much you love your kids and that you need them. Have, have they realized they need you? <laughs> Um, I think so. I mean, we've, we've always had really great relationships. We're very lucky. We talk to our kids either by text or phone. Most days, they're keeping us up to date with what they're doing. We tell them what we're doing. We have a trip planned to Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons next week where we're going with one of our sons and his wife. Our other son and his wife were going to come until the baby was due and they decided, the doctor decided it was best not to do that. So we certainly do stay in touch often. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about unretirement. We, we we got into it, but that's how you describe your retirement. And it's kind of another way of saying partial retirement. I don't want to mm-hmm. oversimplify it. And as we yeah. said, it was, it was coined by your former colleague, Chris Farrell. It seems like you speak very highly of him. I, when, He's great. when I heard you talk about him, I, I just sort of dug a little deeper and I realized I hear his voice all the time on, I think he's on yeah, Rocket Play. Public radio. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Okay. So yeah. why did you take so fondly to unretirement and, and what does that mean for you? I guess I took fondly to it because I thought it gave me a chance to explore new avenues for myself. I'm learning new things. I'm writing for places I didn't get to write before. I'm catching up with old friends who I hadn't seen for a while. I'm the kind of guy who just likes to keep busy. I, my sense is you are too. And so I felt like the traditional retirement just wouldn't work for me. I would get too restless. And so this the constant struggle and in, in, in decisions that I'm trying to make are figuring out how busy do I want to be 
And am I spending my time the way I want to? And I don't want to overdo it. And I feel like right now I'm, I'm in a pretty good place where some days I'm busy all day, some days I'm busy a little bit, some days I'm not busy at all. I feel like it's pretty much where I was hoping it was going to be. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're, you're nailing this. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, we all are figuring it out. And, and I've been teaching a class on, on retirement, actually. At NYU asked me to teach what they call a master class on unretirement. I've been doing it. It's a four-session virtual class with five students who are people in their 50s and 60s who are all working full-time but eager to start their next chapter but a little nervous about it. So I've been talking with them, and in each class, I bring in an expert. I've had some really great people talking in the class. And what I'm finding is there's a big appetite to learn about this because you know there's no real guidebook, and we're all kind of figuring it out. Well, exactly. And I think so many people either think, oh, finally, I can just sit on the couch all day or and then I'll be happy or or they just haven't thought about it enough. And then they get there and they go, what do I do? I'm unhappy. So it's so great that you're teaching people. That's kind of why this podcast exists. <laughs> and since mm-hmm. I don't know the answer, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to speak with people like you. Uh, OK, so I think in marriage and retirement, I know with my parents who are both retired, my mom was really worried that my dad would just be around too much. <laughs> you know, they've been married for, <laughs> you know, gone. more than 55 years, 54 years, um, wow. which sounds super romantic. And it is sometimes. But she was basically saying, you can't just be home all day because I will go crazy. So how, uh-huh. have you had some of that with your wife or, or maybe you are able to do that? You know, it's been working out pretty well. I tend to come up to my home office most days and spend most of the day there. And she tends to be in the living room, the dining room, where she is sometimes doing some work for People Magazine, or sometimes she's reading or just enjoying herself. And, you know, we give each other space. There are times that she's going to meet friends that she hasn't seen in a while or has places to go, and same with me. So so far, I would say we are not in each other's faces or in each other's hair, but we're happy to be together and have the chance to spend more time together when there's time to do it. And if she ever gives you a hard time, do you ever say, you know, I used to write for women.com, so I, I'm kind of an expert on... <laughs> <laughs> I don't say that. No. no. And, so, and you're not you're not rearranging the spice rack and getting in trouble that way. I, I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm not very good at that. But <laughs> okay. I, one of the people that I interviewed, and he was in my a retirement class as a guest this week is Steve Lopez. And I don't know if you've had a chance to meet with him yet, but he wrote this terrific book called Independence Day, where he talked about it was his one-year research project to figure out, he's a Los Angeles Times political columnist, and he was trying to figure out, should he retire? Could he retire? How would retirement work? And he said that his wife, who's a freelance writer, was worried about what it was going to be like for the two of them to be together all the time. And I think they are working it out too. So, you know, it's a challenge for couples because most times couples are not used to being all together in the same place every day, all day long. But, you know, you find ways to make that work. Yeah, Wes Moss had him on his podcast, the Retire Sooner podcast, and he was great. I didn't expect him to write a retirement book. I remember seeing the movie The Soloist. I think Robert Downey Jr. played him and Jamie Jamie Foxx was in it. So, yeah, yeah, that was a... I'm really happy you got to talk to him. He he was great. So, yeah. okay, I want to talk a little bit about Next Avenue, which you're still working. I guess you're considered freelance now since you're unretired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, 
was I accurate? It's kind of considered the Sesame Street for adults. Well, yes, I'd say mostly yes. You know, when I, when I started there back in 2011, all we knew was that the guy who ran the public television station in St. Paul, Minnesota, TPT, had this idea. He said PBS should be doing something for baby boomers the way he did Sesame Street for kids. And he was trying to figure out what that should be. And of course, he first thought it would be a television show because that's what they do. But the more he talked to people, the more he thought, no, probably be better as a website. So I was part of the launch team. And all we knew was we were going to create this website for people over 50. At that point, that meant pretty much baby boomers. Since then, it now means Gen X and baby boomers because a lot of Gen Xers are in their 50s. And so website where it has five channels, there's the money channel and the work channel. Those are the two that I was in charge of. There's a lifestyle channel, there's a health channel, and a caregiving channel. And they're publishing new articles every day in all those channels. And I feel what I've learned is that most people still have not heard of it, but when people do hear of it and find it, they tend to really love it if they're over 50 or they tell their parents about it. So the biggest issue there is just sort of getting the word out. But I think they do some really great work. Yeah, I mean, are you, is that something you turn to yourself now that you're unretired? You can absolutely. I read it every morning, and I always find something interesting there. Yeah. Especially if you've written it, right? <laughs> Sometimes I write it, but mostly I don't. Okay. Yeah. Um, you've talked about how people who make their own choice to retire versus being forced to retire makes a big difference in the rate of happiness. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about why making your own choice matters, and I think that's what you did, right? I, I was lucky to be able to do that, and some people are. Some people don't have that luxury because their health requires them to stop working or they lose their job through no fault of their own. And so sometimes retirement is thrust on them when they weren't really planning on it. In my case, I was lucky that I I had thought about what I wanted to do and when I wanted to do it, and so I plotted it out. And I've talked to a lot of people who did the same thing, and what I find is they tend to be happier because they feel more in control. They, It's their decision to stop working full-time and to do other things. And in many cases, they're healthy enough to do the kinds of things they want to do. Some have health issues, and so they work around them. And so that means they may not be able to travel to places they might thought of going before, but they do other things instead. I would say if it's possible to chart your own path towards on retirement, I really encourage people to do that. You, you, and you knew the time was right. Is that you just felt it? Like I think maybe I want to do this now. Or yeah, well, you know, it was a combination of being next avenue ten years, turning sixty-five, being in pretty good health. I just felt like that seemed like a good time to make a switch. You know, I didn't want to wait until I had more issues with health that I might have one day and couldn't do some things I wanted to do. And, you know, I felt like there were things I wanted to do, things I wasn't sure what I'd be doing, but I wanted to look into them. And so for me, that seemed like a good idea. I, now, I probably could have waited a few years. I might have been able to do it a little earlier. I think it was probably a good time for me. So you didn't worry too much about having it be the exact perfect time. You, it, you just do your best. Everyone's kind of figured it out as they go. Yeah. And I, you know, we have a financial advisor and I, talk with them a lot about, you know, can I afford to do it and what should I be thinking about? And we talked about when to claim Social Security and what about Medicare and all those kind of things. I think it's really helpful 
to have a financial advisor to talk it through as a second opinion and see what the, what they think. And I was happy that my advisors felt like I could do it. And so that gave me confidence to do it. Yeah. And, and as somewhat, you probably have, even if you're not a financial advisor, you've done so much on the topic that you probably knew a lot about what to do, but you still went and sought advice on that. Absolutely. Well, I want to turn to professionals, people who do this for a living. They do it all the time. They've got more experience in helping people manage their money and their finances and and think about retirement holistically than I did. So I felt like I had something to offer, but they had even more. And did you did your wife, Liz, you did that together? You 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 talk a lot together about those sorts of things? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't want to make any finance decision without her. And she feels the same way. You know, I tend to be more in charge of our investments, but I won't make an investment decision without discussing with her. She just isn't all that interested in it, but she's happy to hear me talk about it. And if she's not comfortable, then I won't do it. I have a pretty good idea about her risk tolerance and it's similar to mine. So we're usually in lockstep, I would say. Well, that's that's a, a gift. <laughs> I mean, that's really yeah, lucky from what I can tell. You've talked about how it's kind of impossible to know exactly how much free time you're going to want in retirement or unretirement. It's sort of a trial and error type of thing. Did you, how long did it take you to figure out, or maybe you're still figuring out, I, I prefer this amount of free time, and I but I want to be doing something the other amount. I'm still figuring it out. I knew only that I would want to be busy. I didn't know how busy and busy doing what exactly. And so there have been times where I've said to myself, I'm doing too much. I need to take a little break. And then occasionally I'll look at the calendar and see a day with nothing on it. And then I get scared because I feel like, well, what are we going to do with myself? Uh, I mean, I love to read and go to movies and watch TV. So I do some of the things that are solitary or with my wife. But mostly I prefer to be doing things where I feel like I'm engaged in some way. And it could be professionally, it could be mentally, it could be socially. I started going to the Y twice a week, which is something I have sort of pushed off for a long time because I just not a fan of exercise, but I know <laughs> that I need to, I know I need to take care of better, better care of my health. And so I forcing myself every Tuesday and Thursday to eat in the morning to go to a class and I'm glad I'm doing that. Oh, what, what kind of class? It's, they call it a cardio light class. So it's an hour where I'm basically moving around with a bunch of other people and an instructor to basically get the heart pumping by and large and that sort of thing. Nothing too strenuous, but just enough to feel like I'm making some kind of a difference in my health. Yeah, I was going to ask how you stay healthy. So that that's one of the ways you exercise a couple days a week. Did you have to change your diet yeah. or anything? Well, so I have diabetes, so I changed my diet years ago when I was first diagnosed in my 40s. So I'm trying to be, I'm, I'm pretty careful with what I eat. We have a dog, so I, I walk my dog a lot, as does my wife, and that helps me get some exercise. You know, it's always tempting to want to eat foods that I know I shouldn't eat, and occasionally I slip up, but mostly I'm pretty good about that. Yeah, another guest I've had on this show uh, talked about walking her dog, and that was when she did a lot of her writing. Is that, do you, do you work out some of your articles while you're walking the dog? Sometimes I do. I mean, sometimes I'll have in some inspiration about either something to write about or a way to write it or an idea for a headline or a lead of a story. And then I go back to my desk and start working on it. 
Okay, before we get too far to this, I wanted to say I noticed that the summer street sweeping started up in July in Westfield. So now that you're uh, home all the time, I wanted to remind you to move your car uh, so you don't need to get a tip. ticket. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I'm, we live across from the school, a grade school, uh, which was always fun to see the kids playing, but it can be sometimes very loud to be working or doing a podcast or, or a Zoom um, but it's off season now that it's summertime, so it's pretty quiet mostly. <laughs> You're about what 15 miles from New York City, is that? Yeah, give or take. It's about a 45 minute car or bus ride or trains a little bit longer. Yeah, about that. Now that you have a little more time, can you and your wife go into the city to see shows or or anything like that? We do uh, occasionally. You know, not all that often because of our dog. He needs to go out a lot, and so can't be away too long but we try to see a show on broadway you know every i see three to four months or so we hardly ever go in just for a restaurant occasion we'll go in to see a friend that i know or someone's had to go in for work of some kind i'd like to be there a little more often than i am but you know we try to get there whenever we can i i venture to say most of our listeners have dogs <laughs> so yeah. what what kind of dog do you have He's a rescue dog. We think he is mostly Chihuahua and Beagle, uh, Chihuahua Beagle or Cheagle, <laughs> but nobody knows for sure. So you know, that, that's our best guess. Okay. I love Beagles. I was worried. Do, do they howl a lot or? He, he barks when somebody's outside. He barks if, he, if somebody's in the house who he doesn't know he wants to protect us. I wouldn't call him a howler, but he's a growler. Okay, not a howler, a growler. I know a lot of people like that. Uh, I I found one time some friends and and I were just driving through their neighborhood and we saw a chihuahua wandering in the street. He looked or she looked very out of it. Turned out she was old and and needed help. So anyway, I'm not taking any credit for this. A friend of mine took her to the vet, got her fixed up, found her a home in Montreal. So she's now a... French Canadian citizen was flown all speaks two languages. Yeah, guess, right, so. exactly. Much more cultured than I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, we love having a dog, and we're huge fans of dogs in general. And I do think if you're retired and can do it, it's really great to have some sort of a, a companion, whether it's a dog or a cat or a bird or a fish or whatever. But dogs are great because they get you out of the house, give you some exercise. They're usually very loving and lovable. I would say our, our dog loves my wife. He likes me. I'm okay with that. I've, I've come to I've come to peace with that, but it's fine. Okay, yeah, they're just mood enhancers. You know, I think they yeah. they really know how to do that. So, for someone like you who kind of well, at least from what I can tell, you were always doing something that you felt passionate about in your career. Not not always, but you you know you weren't doing something you hated. So when, yeah. when you decided to unretire, was it just a matter of, well, I'm going to cut out these few things I didn't really ever enjoy, but for the most part, I was already doing what I wanted to do, so I'm going to keep doing it? Or did you rebrand yourself, you know, now I'm going to do this? Uh, what what did that look like for you? Well, you know, I did love my job at Next Avenue, but I have to say I don't mind not having the management responsibilities that I had there in invoicing with freelancers and going to meetings and all that sort of thing, which is part of any kind of a job. So I was glad not to have that, but to keep the part that I love, which is writing and editing, and to have the chance now to do that 
for some other places and to do things that I couldn't do before. So it's a little rebranding, but I would say I'm largely kind of doing what I was doing before, just in different ways, and then doing some things in addition to that. Okay. That's what I had figured. So for people that are lucky enough to have kind of found what they wanted to do while they're working, they can. it's okay to just sort of maybe keep doing that, but tweak it a little bit more to your liking. Maybe, maybe I don't, I never liked this part of it, so I'm not going to do that anymore, you know? Right. Right. It, I think a lot of people, that's what they want. That's the sweet spot for them is to keep doing the parts that they liked, not doing the parts they didn't like, maybe not working with people you weren't so crazy about and sometimes saying no. So some, that's one of the things I had to sort of force myself into doing it in retirement, which is sometimes people said to me they would like it if I would do X with them. And I've said no because I just didn't think I wanted to work with that person or I didn't think the assignment sounded particularly interesting or it wasn't quite right for me. But I will say whenever I do say no, which is not all that often, but sometimes, I, I whenever I can, I try to give them somebody that I think might say yes. So if I feel like that's not quite right for me and I know somebody who I think might be interested, I'll tell them because I feel like if I can be helpful in that regard, Great. Now that person may not want to do it or they may not want that person, but at least I feel like I've, I've tried to be helpful. Yeah. I, I don't like telling my wife no, but sometimes that means I just pretend I didn't hear. That way I don't have uh-huh. to. Uh... <laughs> so as we sort of wrap up here, I, how would people who want to know more or maybe they really love what you're saying and they, it's really helping them figure out how to be happy uh, as they think about retirement or maybe they're already in retirement. Where, where can they continue to learn from you and follow you? Oh, thank you. Well, if you go to Market Watch and you just type my name, you'll find my column. That's called The View from Unretirement. I write it every two weeks or thereabouts. So you can find my pieces there. Same on Next Avenue. If you search by my name, you'll see pieces I've written about personal finances and work and often about aging and retirement. If you're interested in Medicare, I'm writing for the Fortune website. They've got a channel called Fortune Well, and it's mostly about health, but they've got a part of it that's called Aging Well. And so I've been writing about Medicare for them. So those are the easiest ways. And then the podcast that I do, I've been doing now for about five years called Friends Talk Money. I do it with two terrific co-hosts. One is Pam Kruger and one is Terry Savage. We do it every couple of weeks and it's about personal finances for people over 50. So I hope people might check that out too. Okay. Well, I hope they will. I'm sure they will. Richard Eisenberg, thank you so much for joining us on the Happiest Retirees podcast. It's It's been a real treat for me. Well, thank you, Ryan. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Well, say hi to your family and uh, tell everyone and your dog. I will do that. You too. All right. Thank you so much.